Let me invite you this morning to join me in looking at some of these ancient words. And uh, we will be in the book of Acts this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 2 primarily. And Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament after the four uh, books known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, and Acts. And uh, indeed, as we look at God's Word, I think as we look at the book of Acts, as we look at this particular passage this morning, uh, we see that the call of the Scriptures, the call that God has uh, for us, is a call to turn and to follow. A call to turn away from ourselves and a life that is ruled by us and by our sin nature and to turn and to embrace Jesus, to follow Him as His disciples, to recognize that He is Lord. And I tend to think that our evangelical Baptist uh, tradition has done a fairly good job of emphasizing the need to uh, to turn to Jesus, uh, to profess faith in Jesus, to uh, believe in Jesus. We've done a pretty good job at encouraging folks to uh, to walk an aisle, to pray a prayer, to turn to Jesus, to recognize their need for Jesus Christ. But on the flip side, I'm not sure we've done uh, as good of a job at uh, encouraging one another and others to follow Christ as Lord, to indeed live for Him, uh, to pursue Him, to, to walk in His ways, to grow in Christ uh, together. And I think at best, perhaps the unintended consequence of some of that is uh, too many baby Christians who never mature in the faith, who never uh, see their faith beyond simply believing in Jesus for salvation. And perhaps at worst, the unintended consequence might be too many uh, false converts, too many folks around in the world, even today, who claim the name Christian, yet seem to have little to no regard for the church. And thank God, praise God, that salvation is indeed by grace alone, through faith alone. It is not something we earn. It is not something that we accomplish on our own. But saving faith, according to the Scriptures, is, is never alone. In fact, as we look at the Scriptures this morning, we'll see that after what appears to be Peter's first post-resurrection evangelistic sermon, uh, that uh, many turn to Christ, that they embrace Christ. And the result, Acts 2.42, is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, they devoted themselves to church. They gave themselves to the Lord and continued to reprioritize their lives around knowing and following Jesus as Lord and as Savior. So thank you, church, for devoting yourself to the Lord and to His church. Thank you once again for being here on this Sunday morning to worship Him, to fellowship in His name, and to look at His Word together. And indeed, the book of Acts is uh, a fascinating and uh, gripping telling of God's faithfulness in spreading the message of the gospel through His people, through His church uh, in the first century. One of my favorite books of God's Word. And in Acts chapter 8, there's a man uh, by the name of Philip. And Philip uh, was an evangelist. Philip was a follower of Jesus, and he went around telling others to repent and turn to Jesus and indeed follow uh, Jesus as as Lord. He spent some time uh, preaching the gospel among Samaritans. 
and seeing some of them turn to Jesus. And then we read in Acts chapter 8 that he encountered an Ethiopian official who had been in Jerusalem worshiping Israel's God and now was on his return trip home. And he comes uh, uh, up to this man. He's prompted by the Holy Spirit to approach this official who's riding a chariot and reading from the Scriptures. Imagine uh, if you are one who gets car sick uh, reading in the car. This uh, official, according to the Word of God, is reading the Scriptures as he travels down the road on this chariot. And the Lord leads, the Spirit of the Lord leads Philip to approach this man and to begin asking him if he understands the truths that he's He's reading. In Acts chapter 8, verse 35, we see that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So this Ethiopian is reading from the prophet Isaiah and reading a, a passage that certainly in light of Christ's coming and, and dying is uh, clearly a messianic prophecy about this Lamb of God. But I'm convinced that even if he had been reading from elsewhere in the Scriptures... That Philip would have followed the same procedure, that he would have began right there with that very passage and began to proclaim the good news of salvation because all of the scriptures, even all of the Old Testament scriptures, ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so it's this practice that we see uh, taking place also in Acts chapter 2. And so as you find your place in Acts chapter 2, let me invite you to join me standing. Uh, for the reading of God's Word. So Acts chapter 2, it's an important celebration. It's Pentecost. It's the celebration of the wheat harvest. And many devout Jews have gathered in Jerusalem and other converts to Judaism. And just as Jesus promised, uh, the Spirit of God has descended on followers of Jesus. And wild things are happening. And Peter takes the opportunity. He sees the opportunity and seizes the opportunity to stand before the crowds. And he begins to preach uh, the message of salvation. And he does, like Philip, he uh, preaches the gospel beginning with the Old Testament scriptures. And we pick up the sermon in verse 36. So Acts chapter 2, verse 36, the scriptures read this way. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do ask you now, by the power of your spirit, to guide us in rightly understanding the truths of your word. And applying them to our lives as your people. Guide us now. Speak to us. Convict us. Change us. Conform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. The call that I want us to hear, that I think we need to hear from God's word 
this morning is that we are invited, that we are exhorted to turn from sin and follow the Savior. Turn from sin and follow the Savior. Hear that message this morning. Receive that message this morning and apply that message this morning. For that is the greatest admonition that any of us could ever receive as long as we are here in this life. You see, that's an invitation and an admonition and a call for every single one of us. Certainly, there's an initial call to repent and turn to Jesus for salvation. But then there is an ongoing call for all believers to continually devote ourselves to Him. To continually repent of sin, to turn away from sin, and to follow Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. Turn from sin and follow the Savior. Why? Because... We killed Jesus because we killed Jesus. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, certainly we may say, wait a minute, we, we were not around. We weren't part of that crowd in A.D. 33. Weren't part of that crowd that was listening to Peter's sermon, no doubt some of whom were in the other crowd roughly 50 days prior chanting, Crucify, crucify. But a broader survey of the scriptures reveal that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, the Messiah, gave his life because of us. That he died because of us, because of our sin, for our Sin. And we can only speculate how we may would have responded had we been there in that crowd. The chances are we probably would not have responded all that different from the crowd in that day. The modern hymn writer captures this truth well with these lyrics. Behold the man upon a cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Friends, because of our rebellion against God, because of our sin, our sin nature, we are responsible for the death of Jesus. He died for us and because of us, and we must repent. We must repent. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. I love the, the emphasis in Peter's message here on the individual in the context of the masses. We know this was a massive crowd, for we read at the end of this passage that 3,000 turned to Jesus that day. But even so, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, every single one of you. Turn to Jesus, turn away from sin and follow the Savior. And certainly those who would turn to Jesus are those who experience the conviction of, of God's Spirit, recognizing that they were in the wrong, that's exactly what's happening here among the crowd. And God in His wisdom and in His way has chosen to use 
preaching, the proclamation of the gospel to convict and to call for a response. And this is a good thing because we kill Jesus is not the end of the story. We sinned against God is not the end of the story. There is hope. There's a call for a response to respond to the conviction that's brought about by God's spirit. You certainly cannot mass produce conviction. We cannot mass produce conviction, maybe shame, but not conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for convicting us of our sin. And because this is so, we need to learn to welcome conviction. Church, let's welcome conviction. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted over their sins and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This reminds me of something my two-year-old son has been saying recently. He's showing some early signs of boredom and he'll say things like this uh, every so often. Daddy, what can we do? Daddy, what can we do? Well, that's, that's different from the way the crowd is responding here. They are not looking for something to do to occupy their time. They are under the conviction of God's Spirit. And they are saying, brothers, what shall we do? What should we do? What can we do to make this right? How should we respond to this message? And the truth is, according to God's Word, that conviction is a good thing because it is from God. We don't like conviction because it makes us feel guilty. We don't want to feel guilty. But according to the Bible, we cannot come to Christ without first acknowledging that we are guilty before God and in need of a Savior. This very idea bucks up against the world and the natural inclination of our flesh. We don't, we don't want to feel guilty. We don't want to even think that we might be guilty. Conviction is God's way of drawing us to Him, opening our eyes to our sin. So welcome conviction, but don't sit and sulk there. Welcome conviction and then embrace forgiveness. Embrace forgiveness. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. See the... This is an incredible truth that despite our guilt, despite our rebellion, despite our failures before a holy and perfect and righteous God, He has offered salvation to us. He has made an attempt, a perfect attempt, in His plan to rescue us from our sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took the penalty that you and I and every other sinner deserves in our place, so that we wouldn't have to. Not because we deserved it, but so that we could be sons and daughters of the Most High God. So that we could receive forgiveness and salvation, abundant and eternal life through Jesus. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who who are in Christ Jesus, a way of saying those who know Christ Jesus, those who have trusted in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All of us at one time stood condemned before God, 
guilty before God. But those who know Christ are no longer. We are forgiven. So let's welcome God's conviction. Let's embrace forgiveness. And thirdly, let's receive the Spirit. Let's receive the Spirit of God. Verse 38, the end of verse 38. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Scriptures teach that those who turn to Jesus, those who turn away from sin and follow the Savior, in that moment receive the gift of God's Spirit dwelling in us, living in us to further convict us and to guide us into all truth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes to the Christians, he says, And you, Christians, and you, the church, were, were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Church, receive the Spirit. Embrace the Spirit. And when we realize our sin, when we realize that we are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ, that He died for us and in spite of us, we must repent and we must Profess. We must profess. We must profess faith in Him. Those who turn from sin and follow the Savior are living out an individual choice, a personal decision. It's not something that anyone else can do for us. It's between you and God or me and God. It's between us and, and God. But it's not a decision that is meant to stay hidden. It's not a decision that's meant to be private. It's something that is meant to be exposed, to declared. In one sense, a decision that's meant to be professed as a public profession of faith before the church, before other Christians. And then secondly, a decision that's meant to be lived out as we walk and talk and live in the world. We're called to be distinct as followers of Jesus. We're called to be salt and light in the world. I want us to focus for a minute or two on that first profession, that profession of faith in Christ before God's people. Verse 38, first part, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then verse 41, we read that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is very similar to what we see in Acts chapter 8 and the passage that I referenced earlier with the Ethiopian official. In fact, Philip leads that Ethiopian to the Lord. And Acts chapter 8, verse 36, we read, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And this is the pattern that we see time and time again in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, certainly in the book of Acts, that baptism is a public profession of faith in Christ before God's people. Baptism is identification with Christ. It's a mandate from Christ. It seems to be practiced rather quickly in the New Testament following conversion. So we need to do our very best, church, to celebrate baptism. Let's celebrate baptism. Let's celebrate an outward profession and identification with Christ for those who have turned to follow Christ. Now, denominational traditions have certainly approached baptism in 
in different ways, but as the name might suggest, baptism has been fairly significant to Baptists. This would sort of be like saying Domino's Pizza cares about pizza. Baptists have historically cared about baptism. We would differ slightly from perhaps our Church of Christ, brothers and sisters, who promulgated the idea that baptism is a necessary requirement for salvation. But on the flip side, we would value the importance and the celebratory component that they place on baptism. We need to celebrate baptism, for baptism is an initiatory, outward and visible sign of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so perhaps there are some here this morning who know Christ. Maybe you've trusted in Christ for salvation. Maybe you have turned from your sin and you are following Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Let me urge you to to do so, to declare your faith before the church, before God's people through baptism. Some of you, I'm sure, have noticed that in recent weeks I have adjusted slightly how I uh, am handling our hymn of response where I've been front and center down here for some time in the last few weeks. Uh, I have not in an attempt to emphasize, emphasize a, a shared response. But when we respond to the truths of God's word, as we hear them, as we read them, as we encounter him, this is not a time for just someone to respond or some to respond, but this is a time for all of us to respond, whether for the first time turning and repenting and embracing Christ, following Christ, or for the millionth time, exercising and displaying devotion to Him as, as our Lord. And I want to be sensitive here for no doubt God has used walking an aisle and this way of coming to Jesus in the lives of many, many folks who know and follow Christ, including in in my own life. And where that is the case, church, we should rejoice in that and thank God for it. In a broader look at church history, this is a fairly recent uh, emphasis. And after considerable time and study and prayer and conversations, I don't think that it's the healthiest emphasis for us as a church right now. And again, this is not in any way to belittle that emphasis, but, and we are not alone in this, even among Southern Baptist uh, churches, certainly not among Southern Baptist churches, and in no way an attempt to de-emphasize evangelism and the call to respond, but on the flip side, an attempt to have greater emphasis on turning to Christ as you are, turn to Christ as He leads. So as the Spirit leads you, you Respond. Wherever you are in your journey, whether you've walked with Christ for many years or never professed faith in Christ, as the Spirit leads you, you respond to Christ. Turn from sin and follow the Savior. If the Spirit leads you in that moment, declare that faith to someone else and certainly you take advantage of that. If the Spirit leads you to come and let me know that as we stand and sing a response then you do that then. If the Spirit leads you to turn to your neighbor and say, I've got questions about this. Would you pray with me over this? Would you guide me in this way? Can you point me in 
another direction, then you respond as the Lord leads you in that moment. The Spirit leads you to confess, unconfessed sin before God, then certainly you do that right then in that moment. If the Spirit leads you to stand and raise your hands and worship before God, then you do that in that moment. If the Spirit leads you to come down front here and to bow at these steps as an act of submission before the Lord God Almighty, then you do that in that moment. You respond, church, as the Spirit leads you. We must repent, church. In response to the message of the gospel, we must repent and we must profess and we must proclaim. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called upon to repent, we are called upon to profess, and we are called upon then to proclaim the message of the gospel. You can almost hear the urgency in Peter's tone here, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It says, with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, the truth is that all are lost without turning to Jesus. None are saved without repenting of sin and embracing Jesus as Lord. So once you have responded to the gospel, once you have embraced Jesus as Lord, then live out your faith. Give your life to proclaim that message. In fact, let's share the gospel today. Church, as followers of Jesus who believe in the message of the Scriptures, let's Let's make every effort every single day, today and every day, to share the gospel through our words, through our actions, with our neighbors, with our family members, with our co-workers, with our classmates, with anyone and everyone we encounter. Let's share the message of the gospel for the good of others and for the glory of God. Just a few days ago, I heard Harry Reeder, pastor of Briarwood make reference to Frodo Baggins in uh, the movie Lord of uh, the Rings. And he was describing the, the gravity of a moment in Frodo's life depicted in that movie as he realizes the responsibility that is on him uh, to destroy this ring. And he says something to the effect, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this would have ever happened. And as followers of Jesus, we certainly cannot identify with that. We cannot ever wish, we would never wish that Christ had not come to us. We would never wish that we had not had opportunity to respond to the gospel. But we can identify with the sense of burden and responsibility that Frodo felt as he carried this ring. Likewise, we have the burden and we have the privilege and we have the responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ and spreading the message of the gospel to anyone and everyone we encounter for the glory of God. As believers who know Jesus, we must proclaim the gospel. And in addition, church, as followers of Jesus, we must reprioritize our lives around knowing and walking with him. We must reprioritize. Prioritize. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So here's this description, this window, this picture of some new believers, some new converts, some new followers of 
Christ, who are living out their faith in Christ, whose lives have been changed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are rejoicing in forgiveness that Jesus has given them. And they are giving things up in order to follow the Savior. Remember Jesus' words to a couple of fishermen beginning of his ministry recorded in Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He approached some fishermen and he said, he approached Peter and Andrew and he said, come follow me. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people or I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. They left things behind that were important to them before in order to more fully follow after Jesus, to embrace Jesus, to serve him, to follow after him. And the truth, church, is that Jesus is still calling people to, to give up things in order to more fully pursue him. And one way, friends, that we can do that, one way that we can value Christ above professions and possessions and above ambitions and dreams and above family and friends and even above safety and security is that we can give ourselves to the church. As followers of Jesus who know Christ and desire to walk with Christ and to serve Christ and to glorify Christ, let's give ourselves to His bride. Let's give ourselves to His people. Let's give ourselves to and for the church. Friends, over Little League, over college football, over careers and over ambitions, over all things, we need the church. You need the church and the church needs you. Let's give ourselves to the church for the glory of our God. Let's hear from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider, let us consider, church, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of Christ's return. Friends, let's, let's turn from sin and let's follow the Savior now, today, and forevermore. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for the opportunity today, even now, to open your word, to read your word. Father, we thank you for this deposit that you have given us, that you have entrusted to us. Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel. Father, we pray that you would continually capture our hearts with this message, with the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that if there are those here that do not know you, or not simply know about you, but don't know you in a personal way, in a saving way, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict today, that they would embrace forgiveness today, that people would turn to Jesus today, and that their lives would be changed for all of eternity. And Father, for those of us that do know you, we pray that you would continually capture our hearts, that you would continually point us to you, that you would continually convict us where we're wrong, that, Lord, you would give us a humility to turn to you and to trust in you, to confess sin. Lord, we pray like David that you would search our hearts, that you would examine our motives, that you would reveal any offensive, any wicked way in our lives, that we might confess it and further walk with you. Lord, lead us now as we respond. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.